Good to have the choir as always, and a nice full choir behind us. And so let's have a round of applause again for our choir today. You may be thinking, man, I would like to sing in the choir. And uh, we could always have more people in the choir, and all you have to do is ask Terry. And I've heard that tryouts are grueling, and uh, they only take a select few. Uh, but, no, uh, but anyway, uh, no, always use more uh, smiling faces singing to us. Well, if you pay attention to the news at all this week, you probably heard about this little boat submersible, which I didn't know was even a word until this week, that tried to go check out the wreckage of the Titanic. And as it got somewhere close to 13,000 feet below sea level, the structural integrity of the vessel collapsed and it imploded, which they believe had happened. And, and there was also a shipwreck where many people lost their lives, but the, no one's talking about that. And you know, a lot more people died in that one as opposed to this one where only five people died. But the, just the nature of the story, the nature of the vessel, the, the inhabitants or the, the passengers who paid $250,000 for a ticket in a little tube who ultimately died, just kind of caught uh, the, the, the world by uh, storm, just interest of it. But what has come to be known is there just wasn't enough testing, wasn't enough research into, into how to make one of these things not implode. And I'm sure from now on, uh, studies will be done, and, and if, if there's any type of regulation or any type of building and more of these submersibles, changes, I'm sure, will be made. Uh, reformations, if you will, will be made. There will be reforms, or else people will never want to do something like that again. Amen. All right. We are in 1 Kings chapter 15 today as we talk about spiritual reformation spiritual reformation. I'm just going to read verses 9 through 15, and then we'll pray. God's Word says, In the 20th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, Asa began to reign over Judah. And he reigned 41 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Mekah, the daughter of Abishalom, and Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, as David his father had done. He put away the male cult prostitutes out of the land and removed all the idols that his fathers had made. He also removed Micah, his mother, from being queen mother because she had made an abominable image for Asherah. And Asa cut down her image and burned it at the brook Kidron. The high places were not taken away. Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was wholly true to the Lord all his days, and he brought into the house the Lord of the Lord the sacred gifts of his father and his own sacred gifts, silver and gold and vessels. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. As we look at this passage and as we read through these kings, we see some kings that uh, you consider good, as Terry was talking about, and, and some, many, that were considered bad. But Lord, as we look at Asa's life, we see that Asa was far from perfect. Yet something about his heart orientation toward you 
made him a good king. Lord, let us see some positives. Let us see some negatives from his life today that can show us how we can make spiritual reformation in our own lives, but also in our families, also in our churches, also in our communities, our places of work, our state, even, Lord, our nation and our world. Show us how personal reformation can spark a reformation throughout other people, which goes into communities, Father. Lord, I pray that my words today are your words. Lord, I pray that you speak through me, that your spirit comes through this preaching, and that your spirit is in this room as it receives your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Several things about Reformation today. Several things about Reformation. First, Reformation starts with making changes. That really is what Reformation is about. It's about making changes. And how do I make changes in my life? Well, you make changes in your life by making them. It seems like something that would be uh, you know, already understood, but you have to start making a change some where no matter how small it is. Verse 9 talks about how in the 20th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, Asa began to reign over Judah. Now, I thought this was interesting as I was reading through this. Um, uh, I don't know. I can't trace too far back in my lineage, in my uh, genealogy, but I do know that I had a great-grandfather named Asa Wallace. Interesting, right? Asa Wallace, and uh, so his mother, uh, my great-great-grandmother, named him after one of the good kings, even though he was far from perfect, right? And so interesting that Asa, you don't hear that too, too much often, but it is a name in the Bible. And this was at the beginning of the time that the kingdom of Israel had split into two kingdoms, Israel and then Judah. And Judah was just one tribe, but there were two rulers— and Asa ruled the smaller kingdom of Judah, which was considered the, the, the real tribe of Israel, if you, if you would. It contained Jerusalem, and it contained the, the temple and the places where people were to worship. And it said that he reigned for 41 years in Jerusalem, which was a nice long time to reign. And it says in verse 11 that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And as you list through the kings, you'll see this with all the different kings. Some kings will say that he did what was wrong. In the eyes of the Lord, and a very few, they'll say he did what was right, and he is one that did what was right, even though he was far from perfect, and even though he did not take reformation near as far as he probably should have or could have. But he did do this in verse 12. He put away the male cult prostitutes out of the land and removed all the idols that his fathers had made. Now, this is just a couple generations from Solomon and David, just a couple not very long, not many years. And you read this and you think, wait a second, there were male cult prostitutes in the land? And there were idols in the land already? And so it begs the question, when did these statues of these foreign gods, when did these people doing these detestable practices, when did they come into the kingdom? When did this happen? Well, it started with Solomon started with King Solomon. As we covered last week, he, he married foreign wives, many foreign wives. 
The Bible says that they turned his heart to their gods. So he built shrines for his wives so they could worship their gods and brought the practices of these pagan religions into Israel to make his wives happy, to appease them. The Bible tells us that Solomon also worshipped them. He didn't just bring them in. He also worshipped these gods. He worshipped Asherah. He worshipped Moloch. And if you look at what exactly they did, this was uh, very troubling. Asheroth was considered the god, although we know it wasn't a god at all, of love and fertility. So she was represented by limbless tree trunks that were planted in the ground. And in the trunk was carved a, a symbol that represented the goddess. Solomon put these trunks into the temple. Now, these are not just decorations. This is like putting a Christmas tree in the church, although we wouldn't do that, right? Uh, it's not something like that. It's not just a symbol of the culture they worshipped here. They actually worshipped them. Uh, the, the worship Asherah was noted for its sensuality, and it involved ritual prostitution. The act of prostitution before the idol was how they worshipped. So you had literal prostitution happening in the temple of God. That's what would happen when you would worship. You would do something like that. What about Moloch? Moloch demanded child sacrifice. Moloch worship included what's called passing children through the fire. It's believed that, that idols of Moloch were giant metal statues of a man with the head of a bull. And each image had a hole in the abdomen. And they would place the baby in that hole of the abdomen, sacrifice that child. And their firstborn would be sacrificed, and they believed that Moloch would give them financial security and future children if they just gave him their first. Again, these places were all across the land. They weren't just Christmas decorations, things like that. They were demonic, false gods, and the people of Israel worshipped them. They served them. But Asa made reformation. So we just said in verse 12, the first thing he did was he kicked out the prostitutes from the land, kicked them out. And all the idols his fathers had made, he removed them from the temple area. Verse 13. He also removed Mekah, his mother, from being queen mother. That was her honorary title, and he stripped her of that title. Why? Because she had made an image for Asherah. And so he cut down that image, and he burned it, and he put it in the river. <laughs> but verse 14 tells us this. But the high places were not taken, taken away. Now, what are the high places? Well, they also were established by Solomon. And each of these shrines were high up on a high hill. They were outside of Jerusalem, and his wives and others could worship there. So we see that Asa reformed inside the temple. He got the things out of the temple of God, but he left them in the outstretched areas of the nation. He didn't take down the high places, but he started with the most important aspects of getting 
these detestable practices out of the house of God. But verse 14 tells us, Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was wholly true to the Lord all his days. And he brought into the house of the Lord the sacred gifts of the Father and his own sacred gifts, silver, gold, and vessels. Reformation starts with just making changes. I'm sure it wasn't an easy change for him to make, even though it was the right thing to do. It was the moral thing to do. I'm sure people had gotten used to doing what they had done. They had believed in some of these gods. They worshipped multiple gods. But Asa started making changes. When it comes to personal reformation, reformation in our own lives, it starts with making changes. It starts with just changing your habits. Maybe you just maybe you just eat too much, right? I get like that where I'm I'm bored, I just eat too much. Well, instead of having two donuts, you know what I can have? I can have one. You're gonna say zero. No, I can have one, right? Little changes, one percent better than the day before. Maybe even that, right? To change a habit, you, you need a new habit. Maybe you need a new circle of friends, a circle of influences. You might need to replace those in your life that are influencing you negatively. You need to make changes. Most of you, most of us, if you've lived any amount of years, and many of us in here have, you realize at some point in your life, what you're doing is not working. You just realize that. And you make changes in your life. It may not be overt sinful things, but things that are not good for you, things that are not beneficial even, maybe. Reformation starts with changing. Secondly, Reformation continues with resisting compromise. Resisting compromise. Verse 16 tells us that there was war between Asa and Basha, king of Israel. This is a sad statement. There was constant war between the kingdom of Israel, between the divided kingdom of Israel. And it never ended as long as these two reigned at the same time. Verse 17 tells us that Basha, king of Israel, went up against Judah and built this city called Ramah. And he built it so that he might permit no one to go out or come in to Asa, the king of Judah. So in a long, protracted war, in a strategic move, Basha gained the upper hand in the days of Asa because he blocked a main trade route into Judah at the city of Ramah. This would bind Asa's economy. It would stall it. It would starve them out. It would be what we would call, at the very least, an economic recession, possibly even a depression. So what should Asa do? What should Asa do when your enemy has come against you and has done things to where you cannot eat, you might starve? What should you do? Not go to your enemies. (laughs) But that's what Asa did. Now, it might seem logical, 
but it wasn't the right thing to do. Look at verse 18. Asa took all the silver, all the gold that was left in the treasuries of the king's house and gave them into the hands of servants. Right? He, he emptied out the bank account, the savings account. He emptied it out. And he went to Ben-Hadad, the son of Tabermaron, the son of Hezion, king of Syria. Syria. He lived in Damascus, saying, Let there be a covenant between my father and your father. Behold, I am sending to you a present of silver and gold. He didn't tell him he was emptying out a savings account. He said, I'm giving you a present, silver and gold. Break your covenant with Basha, king of Israel, that he may withdraw from me. And Ben-Hadad listened to King Asa, and he sent commanders of his armies against the cities of Israel, and he conquered Aizam, Dan, Abel, Beth, Mekah, and Chinaroth with all of the land of Nephtali. And when Basha heard it, he stopped building Ramah, and he lived in Tirzah. Then King Asa made a proclamation to all of Judah. None was exempt. And they carried away the stones of Ramah and its timber with Basha had been building. And with them, King Asa built Geba of Benjamin in Mizpah. Now, without all the names in towns, you get lost in what happened here. What exactly happened? God did not save Judah and Asa. Syria did. Syria saved them. With being financed from the savings account of Judah. Yes, they were saved. But imagine how well it would have gone. If Asa had simply asked God for help and not the king of Syria, amen? He got relief, but it cost them. It cost them, and it cost them even more than we know. Look at 2 Chronicles 16, verse 7. We see more into the story here. At that time, Hanani the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, because you relied on the king of Syria and did not rely on the Lord your God. And at this point, Asa's thinking, uh-oh. Right? The army of the king of Syria has escaped you. He was their uh, uh, enemies. Were not the Ethiopians and the Libyans a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he gave them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. The seer says, you have done foolishly in this. This was kind of like a prophet. He spoke truth into his life. You've done foolishly in this, for from now on you will have wars. He says, listen, this is a bad decision. It might, you might think it worked out for you on the front end, but there's going to be a consequence. You didn't go to the Lord. You let your enemy escape you. You brought your enemy in here, and now you're never going to have a time of peace. So what did Asa do? Did he tear his clothes and repent, ask the Lord to forgive him? No. Verse 10. Then Asa was angry with the seer. And put him in the stocks in prison, for he was in a rage with him because of this. And Asa inflicted cruelties 
upon some of the people at the same time. Now, let's not forget, Asa was a good one. <laughs> Asa was a good one. Think about how the bad ones were. He was mad and angry, not just with, not just, I don't think, with the seer Hanani. He was angry at himself. He was angry at God, ultimately. When we, are, when we get mad with God's word, when we get mad with God's truth spoken into our lives, we're really mad at God. And we see this happening to Asa. And he takes it out on literally God's messenger. Sometimes moral and spiritual compromise seems like the only way out of a difficult situation but it's not. It's the devil tempting you with the easy way out. And that's what happened with Asa. In Asa's situation, it only prolonged his problems. And he was so angry about it. He took it out on God's messenger and God's people, it tells us. He took it out on God's messenger and God's people. As we make personal reformation in our lives we are going to be tempted to compromise what we know is right and we know it's right because the holy spirit is speaking in our lives we share the same if you know jesus christ we share the same spirit that's how we can agree on so many things how else is that would that be possible my family and i can't even agree on what we want for dinner there's only six of us But how can we agree on what is right so much as we can as a church body across the world? Right? We must resist the temptation to compromise our Christian morals. What God says is right is right. Amen? It doesn't matter how popular that is. It doesn't matter... What people said was right 50 years ago, what they said was right 10 years ago, what they'll say is right in 20 years. God's word never changes. And sometimes it'll be easier for Christians to live there, to live in God's word being right. And as we all know, sometimes it becomes harder and more difficult to not compromise spiritually. But if we're going to see reformation in our hearts, if we're going to see it in our churches, in our communities, in our nation, we have to resist the temptation to compromise. Amen? We have to resist it. And finally, number three, reformation continues with godly counsel. Godly counsel. Verse 23 tells us, now the rest of the acts of Asa, all his might, all that he did, the cities that he built, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? But in his old age, he was diseased in his feet. It, just kind of, it seems like he just kind of threw that in there. Yeah, well, that's not nice. That's the last thing you're going to say about him. He has diseased feet. And he slept with his fathers in the city of David, his father, and Jehoshaphat, his son, reigned in his place. But if you look at 2 Chronicles 16, we get a little more 
background as to his diseased feet. And we know why this was put in here, because the reader thought we knew about this. It says here, in the 39th year of his reign, King Asa was diseased in his feet, and his disease became severe. Yet even in this disease, he did not seek the Lord, but sought help from physicians. Now, this does not mean you should never go to your doctor. There are many doctors, Christian, men and women who are doctors especially, we can trust and go to. What this is telling us is that he went to the doctors, but he never stopped and asked God, hey, Lord, help me. Give me direction, right? Give me direction. What can I do about this? Now, remember, Asa was one of the good kings. And he had all types of counsel. And sometimes I wonder if we have too many opinions speaking into our lives. Too many people telling us, here's what you should do. Well, here's what I did. Here's what worked for me. Well, this makes sense. Well, I had good experience with this. Well, this worked for me, and that helped me, and right? So it's interesting to me when I get on Facebook and I see people ask, you know, they'll get on, they'll ask for recommendations for somewhere. Hey, does anybody know a good place to eat? That's okay. Or they'll ask for advice about something. People will give you advice. It could be helpful. Could not be. But no matter what advice we get, no matter what counsel we get, we always need to stop and ask ourselves, did I seek the Lord? Did I seek the Lord? Well, I went to the doctor. Can't do nothing about it. Then I went to the other doctor. Got a second opinion. And he didn't do anything about it. Well, did you ask God? Oh. No. Now, we don't know if Asa forgot we don't know if he was still mad at God, but he didn't seek the Lord. And again, Asa was one of the good kings. Asa's one of the good ones, but he wasn't perfect. We can learn a lot from him. Reformation in our life continues with godly counsel. One of the great stories of the Christian church in the time of the Roman Empire was a man of named of his name was Telemachus. He was a hermit. He lived out in the desert, and Rome was becoming more and more Christians, Christianized. More and more believers in Rome were being were being Christians, as we know that eventually became the the religion, the the, uh, the state religion of Rome. But it was more what we would call nominally Christian. A lot of Christians in name, but not a Christians in actions. And this was, we knew this was the case because they still had the gladiators happening in the stadiums, in the Colosseum, where, where 80,000 people would, would, would sit together, right? And they would watch two men duke it out until someone killed the other. And they would cheer. You know all about the gladiators. Well, Telemachus left his hermit abode in the desert, and he made his way to Rome, and he came across 
these fights. And he was horrified. And he thought to himself, these are people of God? And aren't all these God's children? Well, he did what you've seen on TV before. People leave the seating area and run into the stadium and security attacks them. <laughs> you've probably seen that before, but he wasn't doing it for fun. He left the seat. He got into the arena and he stood right in between the two gladiators. And they just tossed him aside. He came back again and the crowd got upset because he was ruining the entertainment. He was causing a spectacle. So they began to stone him, throw stones down at him and things like that. Finally, the commander gave the command and a swordsman came out and slew Telemachus dead right there in the Colosseum. There's different accounts of this story. But one account says that there, suddenly there was a hush among the crowd and there was silence. And the crowd realized that a man of God had just been killed in the stadium, in the Colosseum. And some say that that was what ended the gladiatorial games. When the man took a stand, didn't compromise, and gave his life, and people realized the silliness and the evil of what they had been enjoying. Reformation, all it takes is one person, amen? All it takes is one person. But Telemachus would have never done that if he hadn't made changes in his own life first. And his heart was right with the Lord so he could do that. It starts with us. It starts with one person in our own hearts, in our own homes, in our own workplaces. And it spills out into our community. There's a lot of things about our world, our nation that we love. I love the fact that America is the land of opportunity, that anyone can move here. And if they work hard enough, they can do and make whatever life they want to make. Amen? They can still. You can't do that other places in the world. But you can still do it here. It's a blessing that God has us living here. But there's still a lot of issues, as we know. A lot of evil where we live. I mean, it always starts with one person making changes to bring reformation. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for who you are, Lord, in Christ Jesus. And Lord, it's easy for us to get upset with the world, upset with where we live, we see evil happening and things going on we don't agree with that we know is wrong. But Father, Reformation starts in our hearts. It starts with us. And so Lord, today, I pray if there's one in here today that does not know you, has never turned to you for salvation, never placed their faith in you, they would do so today. That you would save them. Or maybe it's someone watching online right now. 
for some reason finds themselves watching this online and they do not know you. Lord, you would save them, Father. They would turn to you today. Lord, as we leave here today, as we leave here today, Father, I pray that you would show us the changes we could make in our own lives, that we would make changes, Lord, that that we would resist compromise. And Lord, that, that we would seek your counsel in our decision-making. Father, we love you. We ask these things in Jesus' name.